Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. I forgot the word for podcast. That's really embarrassing considering that's what it is. Hello, Francis and Tom. How are you guys doing today? Tom, what is up? I am doing very well. What is up? Uh, It's been a busy week, actually. Normally, I just say, yeah, I've had a lot of news. Uh, Yesterday, at the time of recording, I was at Open Banking Expo. I, if you if you were there, you might have even caught me on stage, uh, moderating a panel on the main stage. Uh, I know I've I've hit the big time. That is they're a shameless gonna, plug if I've ever heard. They're, they're gonna Love they're gonna have to stop team. paying me more because I'm main stage material now. That's me. that's that's big. That's big. That Did big. anyone take any pictures? Uh, there are a few pictures. None, none that are too flattering, so I won't be sharing them. But they're never there flattering. Are a few they're they're they just are... Tom sleeping on stage. It's brilliant. There was one. <laughs> it looks like I'm sleeping, but I'm just blinking. I promise. Uh, but yeah, it's been a it's been a good week, and uh, hoping to finish strong. Amazing. That sounds fantastic, Francis. How about you? Any main stage material here, or I can't say I've been uh, been rocking the main stage. Instead, I've just been sort of holding down the fort. But it's, it's been an enjoyable week. We've had a lot of good news come in and I'm excited to talk about some of it today with you guys. I suppose doing your job is fine. I guess I guess that's okay. It's not main stage though, is it? No, it's not. I, I, I will concede. I will concede that. Anyway, jokes aside, thank you guys once again for joining me. Uh, what are we going to be talking about today? Uh, Francis, what have you brought? So what I'm going to be talking about today is Binance and how it has restricted its UK services as it looks for a new approver. Fantastic. And Tom, how about you? Today, I am going to be covering an article by the fabulous Francis, and it's, despite good intentions, UK SMEs are struggling to be sustainable, finds a recent MasterCard report. Fantastic. And then my my thing today is a similar report, but not at all similar at all, uh, about payments and the payment methods that merchants prefer using. Uh, so, I mean, anyone want to go first? I feel like Tom, Mr. Worldwide now, you can you can go first, show us all how it's done with that main stage material. Let's, let's Mr. Worldwide go first. But so, the MasterCard report that the article covers has revealed that small businesses in the UK are trying to be more sustainable and they really want to embrace new technology to try and achieve their sustainability goals. However, Due to rising costs, about 56% of these businesses are actually struggling to meet their sustainability goals at all. And essentially, MasterCard has found that the consumer push for enhanced sustainability practices from their their financial institutions is being heard. As MasterCard reveals that 51% of SMEs have stated that sustainable practices are a top priority. And this figure grew when they looked specifically at younger business owners aged between 18 and 34, of which 70% marked it as an important factor. So with this in mind, it means that SMEs seem as though they should be making very good inroads towards improved sustainability. However, despite these fantastically good intentions, MasterCard reveals that 48% of these businesses state that costs are what's stopping them from adopting less damaging tech. So in response, MasterCard is hoping to 
support the smallest companies in the UK with its Strive UK program, which looks to connect small businesses to experts and advisors who can help them grow, build resilience and tackle some of these biggest challenges head on. Uh, and one quote that I thought it would be important to, to touch on was by uh, Mary Portas of the Better Business Act, who explained that a fundamental part of the UK's business population is being underestimated, and that's micro and small businesses. They provide three-fifths of the nation's jobs and account for half the turnover in the private sector. However, despite their commitment to sustainability, it counts for nothing if they aren't supported to achieve their net zero goals. You know, this is a group that accounts for 99% of the country's businesses. And she says, if they don't hit their targets, none of us will. So with this in mind, I wanted to ask both of you where you think the solution lies. Obviously, SMEs don't have the resources to implement new tech to improve their sustainability practices. So where do you guys think this kind of support should be coming from? So uh, Francis, I'll come to you first. I feel like a lot of the time people think, oh, if I don't have the latest technology, then I can't be in, uh, I can't be inclusive and sort of, you know, diverse and sort of have these these sustainable practices as much because they just think, oh, I can't afford it, I can't do it. But I feel like there's a lot of smaller things that can really be done to sort of help with sustainable practices. And I think one of the interesting things was the was Kerry McLaughlin, I think her name. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name properly. But she said that the research shows that merchants welcome diversification and that the industry is fostering innovation and security. And I think when you think about it like that, it's always really encouraging to see that in front of of adversity and different challenges that are arising, merchants are still, still managing to sort of direct, I suppose, sustainable practices and sustainable... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like culture, but like methodologies and like thoughts and, and practices really. And I think that's always really encouraging. And I suppose when you think about oh, how much help do organizations really need? I mean, there's always going to be a need for support to SMEs, but I do think it is really encouraging when you sort of see that, you know, I, what was the stat? It was, I think, 18 to 34 year olds are extremely i can't remember the exact stat but it was something along that they're extremely uh sustainable right or they've got a sustainable first mentality and i think when you think about things like that i think it, it is really really encouraging yeah exactly and I, I think there is obviously some encouraging signs even from this report which states you know that they're struggling with increasing costs uh and i guess that goes beyond just the cost of new technology but also you know we're in an environment now where there, everything is, is rising in cost. And uh, I think it's just really important to see exactly where where we're going to be moving to in the future. So Polly, what, what's your take on this? Do you think SME should be receiving more support? or And if so, where should that support be coming from? Yeah, I mean, it's a really tricky one. I mean, I agree with what Francis was just saying about how it's really encouraging to see that everyone's thinking about it, everyone's concerned about it, everyone says yes this is important but obviously you know saying yes it's important doesn't actually mean anything in the long run unless you're actually doing something in order to you know enact it um and i think it's a really tricky situation because obviously i think small businesses 
Um, and micro businesses, as you're saying, kind of get the short end of, a, of the stick in a lot of um, areas. And because they're so small, it sounds really stupid to say, but because they're so small in comparison to sort of their counterparts, they do kind of get left behind a little bit. Because they make up such a huge factor of the business population in the UK, I think um, it's a tricky one to try and tackle. I think more needs to be done uh, by, you know, the big guys. I know a lot of, um, I say a lot of, a few banks offer like green loans and sustainability loans to help people on that, which is always a great one. I think NatWest comes to mind off the top of my head. They offer a lot of uh, green loans. Um, MasterCard is interesting to see that they've run this study, which you'd hope to mean that maybe they're going to be looking at doing something to help uh, small businesses um, and really start some programs to help grow. Um, so yeah, it's just a really, a really tricky one. And I just hope that this good feeling and this this idea of, yes, it's important, will translate into actual change. Because like the, the piece said, the the group of small businesses and micro businesses account for 99% of the country's businesses. So if they can hit their targets, then we're all golden. So I think it'll be a, a hopeful one to see moving forward as we all kind of look more at net zero and sustainability goals in the future. Yeah, definitely. I think her comment was was important because often you see that the regulators getting involved, you know, when it comes to sustainability goals and things like that with the, the biggest corporations to try and set an example. But actually the biggest impact might be coming if they can impact all of these smallest businesses in the UK, then we might actually see a much bigger impact. So it'll be interesting to see how much this will be taken into account really in the coming future and, and how much firms from all aspects of, of the industry, whether it be from the regulators, the government, from uh, payment providers like MasterCard, you know, who can step in or wherever the support comes, it's surely going to step up uh, sort of put people in the right direction and put SMEs in a, in a good stead for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, Francis, why don't you... Uh, take it away with our next piece of the day. Yeah, cheers, Polly. So the article that I wanted to discuss today is coming from one of the biggest crypto exchanges in the world, which is, of course, Binance. And I think we discussed it a few weeks ago, but if we didn't, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, has introduced a new marketing regime for crypto assets, essentially, or crypto exchanges or anyone in the crypto world that really is dealing with their with their marketing essentially and it means that they need to be completely transparent and they basically they have to go through a bunch of different loopholes to essentially make sure their marketing is is accurate and is really putting consumer safety first essentially binance their market or promotion uh, approver was recently uh, it was also called the rebuilding society.com or rebs Following the FCA's launch of its new regime, Rebs was no longer able to approve financial promotions for any crypto institution, including Binance, and it had to withdraw any existing approved promotions. So as a result, Binance has essentially said it's not going to be taking on any more UK consumers and that it's basically just going to hit pause on all of its its services in the UK. And as this has happened, it is looking for a new approver. and what i thought was really interesting interesting about this is that while it may seem like a negative in in the short term because i mean one of the comments that we got actually 
I believe was from James Kotulas of uh, Typhoon Capital Management. And he was essentially explaining that although the firm is officially shut down, that's not going to stop people. It's like the probation in the 19... in the 1920s, like banning alcohol or banning something that, that people want, it never really works. And that people just go to a, to underground essentially to, to facilitate their needs and what they want to do. So in that regard, I suppose you could say that Binance hitting pause is a, is a pretty bad thing. But the way that I look at it is that the company is now doing everything it can to be compliant with the UK regulator. And in my head, as We've always heard about how cryptocurrency is always going against, you know, regulations because of its very nature of being sort of this global thing. It's very difficult to regulate locally. But I do think that in trying to, what's the word, um, to to essentially just accept the FCA's new regulations and new rules and trying to abide by them, it's a really good sign for for cryptocurrencies in the long run as they are going to be moving away from this unreliable reputation and something that, you know, people can trust, I think. But I wanted to get your guys' views and see if you really agreed with me or if you think it's actually perhaps not a very good thing considering the size of the exchange and, you know, how big its reach really is and the impact that it might have on on other crypto firms. So, yeah, no, Polly, I'll go to you first. What what are your thoughts? I love um, the comment comparing this situation and crypto regulation to alcohol prohibition in the 20s i think that's really funny uh but not not you know true to be honest with you um he yeah absolutely right you know banning something never works ever you know it just makes it a little bit more difficult for someone to get something um i think the situation is really interesting i think it's really great to see uh crypto being taken so seriously in terms of from a consumer standpoint, obviously, I know the FCA's new crypto asset marketing regime um, is all about keeping customers safe, as they have said, and they want to make sure that consumers are informed about their purchases as they make with crypto. So I think that's really great to see here. Obviously, it's caused uh, this situation with Binance stopping accepting new UK users. But I think, I mean, for me, I don't see it as a negative i think i quite agree with some of the comments you had in the piece i think obviously short term it might probably have a bit of an effect on the uptake of crypto in the uk Binance is one of the biggest if not the biggest crypto exchange um, at the moment so having that could affect the sort of crypto market but i think it would be really cool to see um, more local and you know UK-based platforms maybe taking up that mantle and filling the hole. I think that would be uh, really awesome, um, especially since obviously there's a little gap now if with Binance there. There's someone, there is space to come into the market um, and try and take over a little bit. So there's a lot of potential for UK-based crypto platforms and I think that would be very interesting. Obviously, I think that does come with its own challenges of like regulation, um and anything like that but no i love i love that idea and i love that there is going to be more positive strides for crypto in the uk you know in spite of this i think it could be a really interesting time to be in the uk crypto industry or certainly at least watching what happens as the situation unfolds yeah 100 percent. and i think i probably should have clarified as well that existing uk users will retain the current services available providing they have completed their investor declaration and appropriate 
appropriateness test, but any new products and services will not be made available to them during this period. And I do think that is really important as well because it, it does hit pause. And I think that is the the main idea is that because there are any new services that come out and of course the the more new services you you want, they're, they're going to be the big selling points most likely. So restricting that from their existing consumers is really going to sort of drive a, a desire for you know, I, I guess more changing for for approval. So I do think everything they're doing is really. It might be a bit irritating in in the short term, but I think in the long term, it's going to really help the the legitimacy and the and the reputation of the of an industry that has. I mean, all we have to do is look at FTX last year and and or Terra Luna and the collapses that we've seen. And I think when you when you take those into consideration, this is a is a really good move to sort of rebuild that reputation tom what are your thoughts uh i'll be honest i didn't necessarily view it in the same way in the sense of i i saw it as a a positive i think finance will definitely see it as a setback and not one that they would have willingly wanted to have partaken in it's you know almost forced upon them really by the new fca regulations so my my first thought really was when i saw the announcement from Binance was oh, it's like another example of just how volatile the crypto world is. You know that that it just shows that like, the regulation is still not really fully established. They are having to stop onboarding new users because of new regulations, and they're not able to keep up with new regulations. And to me, it just it felt a bit like oh, it's just the crypto world does seem like a bit of a mess, even though you know we know new regulations are coming in to to make consumers safer. I think it. my first instinct as a consumer, first and foremost, was just, oh, yeah, this is just another case of the volatile crypto world and, and it being unpredictable, whether it be due to prices or regulation. So, yeah, I think it's, a, it's an interesting time. Obviously, uh, you'd think something as big as Binance will be able to jump back in to getting UK users in fairly soon once it finds a suitable partner to approve its financial promotions but yeah my initial instinct at least was that this isn't really a good thing and i i I like the point of you know where can uk firms kind of fill that void but i don't know i think the fact it is binance the fact it's the biggest one is still encountering such significant problems i at least at this point in time see perhaps more chance of just big setbacks for the crypto sector in the uk rather than opportunity and uh, it'll be interesting to see if I'm right or wrong about that over the coming months, I guess. That's definitely a really interesting take. And it's in- it's nice not to be the one playing devil's advocate for once. And it's actually one of you two. But I definitely think you're right in the sense that it's not a good thing. I don't think anyone, any consumer who uses Binance or Binance itself really wanted to, to really have this clash with the FCA, albeit not a... A negatively reviewed clash as you know we sometimes hear about with uh with crypto exchanges and regulators however i think and i do see your point as well from a consumer standpoint that or someone who's perhaps not so much in the know and sort of just associates crypto with the biggest exchanges like coinbase like binance and when they see that oh, okay crypto is essentially or what that translates translates to sorry is crypto isn't allowed here or we're not allowed to onboard crypto in this country. And I suppose when you look at it from that standpoint, I do very much see where you're coming from. But I would like to think that once they've got an approver, there is, there's going to be this huge sort of 
campaign probably saying we are now FCA approved. We are trustworthy. We are, do you know what I mean? And I'd like to think that that will hopefully counteract maybe some of the, the, the negatives that have been created from simply not having the approval right now. But I do think that is a very valid point of view. And yeah, I think it would just be interesting to see how the, how the industry in the UK really, really evolves from here. And yeah, Polly, we'll go to you for your final article. Thank you. Um, it's kind of vaguely related if you want to have like a tenuous little segue uh, talking about payments. Uh, but this is a new report, the Safety, Convenience and Choice, the True Value of Cards report from Payments Europe um, has been released. And it is full of uh, information and insights into sort of how merchants are approaching payments at the moment. Um, and one of the things that is found is that 72% of European merchants prefer cards over other payment methods, um, as well as how safety and security are the main priorities at the moment when choosing payment methods. And I thought this would be um, a really interesting thing to talk about, because basically, obviously, when like the pandemic happened and lockdown and COVID and all of that stuff and everything went digital, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about this to death, I know. Uh, obviously everything went contactless and contactless became a thing and cards became a thing and cash has been slowly dying out in some people's opinions uh, but I really want to talk about this because I thought right we're kind of you know a few years down the line we're we're really sort of now into this kind of like digital era when it comes to finances and things like that has cash died are cards like king as people say you know I thought this would be just a really interesting debate and discussion to have sort of kind of harking back to ones that we had ages ago and then bring it into now but back to the survey super quickly um so essentially 67 percent of merchants believe that the cost of cards has dropped or stayed stable in the last few years and so 87 percent of merchants believe the value of cards outweighs the cost uh, because i think one of the kind of main negatives against cards uh is that you have to pay um, a fee every time uh, someone pays with a card you have a, a transaction fee of a varying percent usually it's like one percent two percent something like that uh, but that does eat into your profits whereas using cash is free so i thought that was um an interesting idea but i think just in general the idea we talk about payments a lot and how payments are innovating and diversifying and and all the rest and i just find it really interesting that you know, even with all this fantastic payment innovation and things like that, people still use cards. It's just a debit card is kind of still kind of people's go to. Sometimes it will be, a, you know, a contactless debit card in something like Apple Pay or Google Pay or things like that. But just and I know that's an innovation in itself, so I shouldn't be lumping that in with cards. But realistically, people still pretty much use cards for everything. So I just thought it'd be a really interesting thing to kind of touch on with this whole payment innovation and the world of digital and card payments still gaining traction but are they really um i don't know i just thought it'd be a really fun thing to talk about so i mean francis is going to throw that to you in my kind of haphazard rant about payment methods uh what do you think are we fully in card is, is cards king is something else around the corner do you still use your mcclear payment ring or have you got something else like what what are your thoughts here about cards contactless cash let's go i won't lie if the if it was easier, it's not even that it's difficult, but if it was just, I think logging in simply to the McClear app to to upload some funds to the ring is the one thing that stops me from doing it more often. And it's somewhere in my room. I don't know where it is, but I'll be honest, I haven't used it in a long time. Well, I was using it a lot last year 
and it's always the, the biggest gimmick and i love going to like the corner shop or something and they're like do you want to play by card and i'm like <laughs> yes i do and then just tap it with the ring and it it's always very funny and it starts conversation but no i think i think it's really interesting that everyone is sort of saying that all coming back to cards now because i think when you think about innovations and and how far they've really come they're fantastic and i mean we talk about mobile payments and paying with apple pay google pay whatever it might be and it is extremely convenient i'll be honest i can't remember the last time i used a a card physically to to make a payment just because I've, I've got it on my phone now i just use my phone every single time however i will say when it comes to things like buy now pay later or y- y- these different pay over time offerings i guess i think when you think about a credit card it's so simple it is it's not a thing of oh i need to pay this amount this this month that amount next month or this amount for the next year it's simple all it is is i'm gonna not pay for this now and then i'm gonna pay for it a little bit later on this month or i'm gonna pay for it next month and i think there's a a nice simplicity about using your cards which you might not normally get otherwise and yeah no i'm I, i completely understand why everyone still thinks that card is king it makes sense to me yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think some of it uh, kind of comes down to like consumer um, expectation, maybe not, maybe that's not the right word, but you know, like things are often led by consumers. And I think uh, this uh, survey as well, this report, sorry, uh, kind of said how merchants do kind of take uh, consumer preference into um, their decision to uh, use whichever pay me- payment methods they're going to use. And so I think that does play a big factor in it because I mean, why would you do anything like you say with your payment ring not to like pick on that but you know what you don't really use it that often but you use card a lot like why would you change something if it ain't broke don't fix it and i know sometimes that's like the worst thing in the world especially when we talk about like innovation and like making changes for the better the idea of being like oh we've always done it this way is not great but sometimes you know if it works it works and if people like paying with cards and can pay with cards easily, simply and safely, then why would things change? And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why, you know, when, when we think about payments, we still just do think about cards. But I mean, Tom, what do you think? What what are your thoughts on this whole debacle? I think the the key point that, that comes to mind when I think about cards is how actually cards aren't just the the concept of itself has continued to evolve over time. Like obviously when cards were first introduced, it was put in the pin like in the card machine put your pin in wait for it uh, the funds go over great take your card out then i just looked it up 2009 contactless payments were introduced for debit cards in the uk and then they made it nice and easy just tap everything you only have to put your pin in every few times and then not too long after that the concept evolved slightly more you now have all our cards on our phones and you know, that's how i pay apple pay everywhere apart from tfl which is by my apple pay but we won't go into that um and it's uh you know it's constantly evolved and i think it's an interesting space because you know as a concept cards are so well established we've had cards for well over a decade and you know they seem to be here to stay but they've always had that slight tweak over time where they've stayed relevant they've stayed the most convenient aspect and, and merchants will be used to them they're used to the security that they offer they're used to you know the coverage that they get from the payment companies and so are consumers you know when they spend money like something a lot uh, that was spoken about a lot yesterday at open banking expo was the fact that consumers are pretty happy with the fact that they can spend money they can be defrauded in some way 
and they can just claim the money back off the bank and, and there's no real losers there. And uh, the only people losing are the banks and it's kind of a system that people are used to and they're quite happy with, to be honest. You know, if someone's defrauded of how much money on the Facebook marketplace, eventually they can claim that money back off the bank and as far as the consumer's concerned, well, that's it. They haven't really lost anything um, apart from going through a, a pretty sad experience. But I think it's uh, it's interesting that cards have remained the first and foremost payment option. And I think that's because of consistent innovation. And it'll be interesting to see how, you know, what is the next sort of evolution of cards that we're going to see that's going to keep them in that space? Or, you know, is there something going to take over cards uh, and be a new way of paying? So it'll be a really interesting way of, of uh, seeing how payments evolve in the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. I love all of that. I think, yeah, it's just payments are something that's so, you know, everyone uses payments like every day so i think they're just really fascinating sometimes to actually sit down and actually think about them and go well people kind of just still use cards but like you say they're innovating all the time so innovation doesn't necessarily have to be something brand new which is a really good point anyway that does bring us to the end of our discussion today thank you so much guys for bringing your articles to the podcast uh if you would like to hear any more about anything we've talked about today or anything else about fintech head on over to the fintechtimes.com where there are plenty more news and insights on there uh, but why don't we very quickly do what i learned this week so each week uh, so much new information is crossing our desks being on the editorial team at the fintech times that we are learning something new about fintech all the time so we thought it would be fun to share that with our listeners so tom what have you learned this week? This week, I learned via a new report from Ravelin, which is a anti-fraud technology provider, that online grocery retailers are being hit significantly by something called friendly fraud, which I thought sounded uh, like a bit of an oxymoron. Um, but that includes chargebacks, promotions and policy abuse by the online grocery retailers own customers. And uh, I just thought that was uh, interesting that they're uh, almost being betrayed by their own customers due to this uh, concept of friendly fraud. Interesting. Thank you. Francis, what have you learned today, this week even? So what I've learned this week is that research from Vadeno and Aeon Bank has revealed that 52% of 25 to 34-year-olds believe using financial products from their favourite brands is more convenient than banking with a traditional bank. And sort of following on from, from your article where we were talking about payment preferences, I just thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. Um, and then what I learned this week was that uh, ClearPay has found that 30% of British adults have used buy now, pay later services to make at least one payment in the 12 months prior to August 2023. Uh, I think that's interesting to think about buy now, pay later um, things. Maybe that'll be a, an article for our next one, because I think we've got a lot to unpack about buy now, pay later. But anyway, um, thank you so much, guys, for joining me this week. It has been a pleasure to chat to you, as always, about fintech. Uh, but anyway, I'll catch you on the next one. See you guys next week. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.